Thank you, Tony, for reading that hefty scripture. And would you believe it, but I cut it down a little bit to get it to that short of a length. Uh, It's a good one. And what I'm excited about today, which we're entering into as part of a new worship series we're beginning, which is all about movies. Because, friends, I love watching movies. And I think there's some incredible, important lessons we can learn from the movies that we love. And so each week, this week and over the next two weeks, we are using a different movie to help us encounter and explore a different scriptural truth. The same movie that we're playing the Friday night before in that outdoor movie night. The idea is that movies and the movies that we love, the ones that engage us and inspire us, that tug on our heartstrings or make us laugh, the ones that wow us or get us thinking, Those movies at their core are good stories, and good stories deal with the things in life that matter. Good stories capture insightful truths about the human experience. They evoke and explore the deep emotional building blocks of life. They reveal something about who we are, and the very best of stories can impact us or change us. And as we explore them, we can see that intentionally or not, the storytelling, which so carefully captures the meaningful parts of life, also picks up traces of God's overarching story, which engages us in worship. And so today, we're looking to, an, uh, to what I consider an instant animated classic, the movie Moana, and we can hear within it an echo of the ancestral call to faith, as is found in the book of Hebrews. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Friends, do we know who we are? This question, do we know who we are, is at the core of the movie Moana and is an essential question for all of us who seek to live out the Christian faith. Let me begin by getting you up to date on the movie Moana in case you haven't seen it before or it's been a little while. And while I would love to show you clips of the movie, for copyright reasons, I can't do that, but I've got pictures and I'll do my very best storytelling along the way. So the movie Moana is about a girl named Moana. Here's what she looks like. Hi, Moana. Moana lives in a Polynesian island somewhere in the ocean. It's gorgeous. It's tropical. She lives there with her family and her village. And everything is about as idyllic As you can imagine, her father, we got a picture of him, is the chief. There he is. And so you can see how some of this movie might be um, fitting into that very normal Disney stereotype. She is the daughter of the chief, and there are some expectations on her to become the next chief, to fit into the role of the society that they have there on the island. But there is one problem, and we'll take it to the next slide, which is that she is called the water. All of her village lives on an island. Their entire livelihood is structured around life on the island, on harvesting the coconuts and fishing for food, continuing their life there within the island. And they are very clear with one another that beyond the reef, beyond the shallow waters by the water, it gets dangerous and is not a place for anyone to go except the Moana really wants to go out into the deep waters and on into the the unknown of the world. Her father is dead set against it, of course. And so he does his very best to bring her in to the tradition of the village there on the island that she would be entering into, that she would help 
embody, embrace, and continue on as the next chief. And so at one point, he shows her, and I'll take the next slide, a pile of rocks, the very top of the mountain. It's a bunch of flat rocks, and he says that every chief who has been chief in their village on that island has laid an additional rock on this pile of rocks, that every chief lifts the island just that much higher. And so she too, one day, will place a rock on that pile to continue on the tradition of their life as they know it. Moana's father, the chief, desperately wants Moana to welcome the reality and the tradition as he knows it to find happiness there on the island because he believes that happiness is there to be found within the way that they understand their life together. In fact, as we eventually learn, her father once tried to escape the island, was once, like his daughter, felt a call to the deep waters, to the dangerous places out in the sea, but it went terribly, terribly wrong. One of his friends was killed in, the, uh, in that untimely adventure. His ship was uh, broken and destroyed by the storms, and so he came back and felt he had learned his lesson, that they should remain there on the island. It is, to this point, about as Disney a story as you can get. Right within that archetype, you might know from, like, The Little Mermaid, but also in Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin or any of these other Disney princess stories where there is one person out of step with the way that life is. Moana wants to get from the the land into the water. The uh, The Little Mermaid wanted to go the other way, out of the water onto the land, but it's the same struggle, that age-old tension between the rebelliousness of youth and the steady nature of tradition. And so at this point, you might almost expect that this movie is retelling that same story of all the Disney princesses that have gone before. But Moana would tell you, and she does at one point in the movie, she is not a princess. She's a daughter of the chief. And so the story does change a bit. I should add as we go, though, there is increasing tension between Moana and her father as life on the island begins to deteriorate a bit. The things they rely on for food, the coconuts and the fish, begin suffering. The coconuts aren't growing. There is um, illness in the crop, and the fish aren't there to be caught. And so life on the island starts to look even more precarious, and Moana wants to go, and her father says, no, we should stay. And it is in this moment, in this conflict between adventure and tradition, that we break out of the stereotype of the Disney movie when an alternate tradition emerges. And it's no longer a competition between Moana and her father, between the new and the old, but there is a new tension. And it comes from the grandmother. Let me show you a picture of the grandmother. She is as delightful a person as you can imagine, essentially the village crazy lady. She has outlandish stories that some people love to hear, Moana especially, and others do not appreciate so much. But what she does is she questions the completeness of the narrative that has been given to Moana, that her father, the chief, passed on to Moana, that has been passed on from generation to generation, that the island is the place for this village of people. And so Moana's grandmother takes her to a cave there in the island. She encourages to go through, and she discovers something. She discovers boat after boat after boat. They were the boats that her ancestors had taken to reach that island. 
ancestors that reach back farther than the pile of stones there at the top of that island. Ancestors that show up in song, as they should, because it's a Disney movie, to say that they are a seafaring people, adventurous, going from island to island with courage, discovering new places and new things. They sing. They say, this is who we are. We tell the stories of our elders in never-ending chain. They say, we are voyagers. And Moana's heart is stirred. This is a different tradition, a different story than she has learned. And she rushes out of the cave and she finds her grandmother and she says, we were voyagers. We were voyagers. She repeats it four times over. It is such exciting news. And then she says, why did we stop? And her grandmother said, we have forgotten who we are. And so the story of the movie is set up in that moment, not between old and new, but between two competing narratives about what tradition, the tradition of these people is. It's an evocative setup for a story and may well be the place that the church has regularly found itself throughout history and may well find itself today. We turn to Hebrews, which picks up this idea for some of the uh, early Christians living in the early times. So the book of Hebrews, which we catch in chapter 11, so later on the end of it, is written to a church in a time of struggle, and they need courage to continue. They're experiencing difficulty, some persecution. They're not sure how to continue. Things are not as good as they once were, and they need to know what to do. And so the author of Hebrews spends the majority of the beginning of this book elevating Jesus, reminding the people of this early church who it is that they follow, that God has showed up in Jesus, that they have a robust story, they have a robust leader in Jesus Christ who has called them forward to that place, who is with them still, who is their priest and their redeemer, their salvation, everything. And then when the author has built Jesus up to this high peak, Suddenly, he turns to the very whole of the Old Testament story, starting at the very beginning, about how God made all of creation with just one word, and then there were people, and the story began. The story of a faithful people from generation to generation to generation to generation, and begins to recount a very long historical tradition that eventually leads to the readers of that time. But the author of Hebrews does something interesting with the weight of this tradition. Because tradition is usually used to return us to something, to call us back to a place to say, look at where we were. How can we get back there? But instead, the author of Hebrews takes this long tradition and uses it to send the reader forward. Because the most faithful use of tradition may be not to return us somewhere, but to point us to the future. There's a quote from the author Robert Weber once who says that the road to the future runs through the past. And this is how the author of Hebrews sees it in telling the story of generation after generation and drawing out a theme the author seems to believe comes from all of these many stories, which is that all of the people of faith from the very beginning were travelers. They were called by God to go forth with bravery and courage to look for the home that God had prepared for them and to consider any place where they were to not be their home, 
just where they happened to be for the moment. They were strangers and immigrants, the scripture says. They considered themselves strangers and immigrants. And it goes on past this portion of what we read this morning for the entirety of chapter 11. We get all the way up through Abraham, and then it keeps going. It keeps going to tell the story of Moses and all those who came after through the prophets and everything else. At one point, the author says, what more can I say? I would run out of time if I told you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. It is just the barest bit of history, and yet it takes the whole of the chapter to say, look at all of the people who went before us. Look at the entire history of our people and see that it is one long story of a people who left behind the familiar and the comfort of their homes in search of something promised to them, something they hoped for, believed in, but could not see. They were a faithful people, Hebrews says, and that is faith, to go out without knowing where you're going. That's what it says in verse 8, to go out without knowing where you're going, with faith, trusting that God is leading us somewhere, that the place we have found ourselves in, however good it may be, is not as good as what will come. Frederick Beekner, the preacher, once said that faith is not being sure where you're going, but going anyway, a journey without maps. And that seems to be the spirit that the author of Hebrews is evoking here, is calling the people of that time and every time who read these words to have faith, to set our eyes forward and not backward. In verse 15, it says, if they had been thinking about the country that they had left, they being all of the people in the historical tradition, if they had been thinking about the country that they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return to it. But they were not thinking about that country. They had their eyes set somewhere else. And perhaps this is important to draw out because the author of Hebrews might well know what we might discover for ourselves time and time again, which is that it's so much easier to aim at something we know, so much easier to navigate to a place we have been before, something that we can see behind us, a familiar country. And the author of Hebrews pushes us to look instead to the future. This is what happens in difficult times. We look back to when things seem better than they are now, and then we wonder how it went wrong and how we can fix it or undo it so that we can get back to where we were. This has been the story of the church throughout various times in the history of the church, and we've experienced it in no, in no few number of ways in the last uh, years, particularly as COVID has increased challenges. And this is the church at large throughout the, the globe, throughout the country, but also throughout here. And we could list out the challenges if we needed to, the difficulty financially or with volunteers or wondering where the people went that we remember being here before. And we might wonder, what did we do wrong and how can we go back? Because we would like to go back. We'd like to look backwards and head that way. Of course we would, but it doesn't work like that. One author talking about the contemporary context of the church said, there is no going back because the back that is remembered doesn't exist anymore. 
Because it may not be that things have gone wrong, that we have done something wrong to be fixed or undone. It may simply be that the world has changed as the world is always changing. And so we must look to the future to understand how tradition and the history that has led us here continues leading us forward. And so the question for the church in any age and for the church today is how do we separate the two traditions? the one that holds us on the island, and the one that makes us voyagers. For a while, while Moana's people lived on the island, it was good. There were things to eat. Life was comfortable. Things were going well for a season. Because that's how it tends to be. We find what works and we do what works until it no longer works. And then we have to separate what we were doing because it matched the place where we were from the tradition that guides us on that has been true from the very beginning. And so the island traditions may be the ways that we worship, the programs that we run, the ways that we decide to teach and to share, the ways that we live in ministry and mission to the world. For they worked for a time, they may have worked exceptionally well for a time, but they may not work like that forever. And so it is important to separate those traditions from the tradition that holds us fast to the truths that we know about who God is, that God loves us and forgives us, that God is saving and redeeming us, that God is coming back for us and is drawing us toward a place where all things are made new. The tradition we must hold fast to is this truth, embodying this in the world that we find ourselves in, considering ourselves immigrants and strangers, voyagers here, looking to do something new, discover something new, so that we continue further on in the story. This is true, in fact, within the United Methodist tradition. The Book of Discipline, which rarely has very exciting things to say and mostly describes our life together, does delve into some exciting territory when you enjoy theology, at least, and talks about what it calls our theological task and describes some of our history and reminds us that Christianity does not leap from New Testament times to the present as if nothing were to be learned from the great cloud of witnesses in between. For centuries, Christians have sought to interpret the truth of the gospel for their time. This is our task and has always been the task of Christians in the church in any era to interpret the truth of the gospel for their time. For the truth remains unchanging, but the way we embody it is shifting and is something to explore and discover. Later on, the book of discipline also talks about the earliest Methodists and how they were part of what might be considered a reforming Movement, except it says their task was not to reformulate doctrine. Their tasks were to summon people to experience the justifying and sanctifying grace of God and encourage people to grow in the knowledge and love of God through the personal and corporate disciplines of the Christian life. The truths remain the same. God is who God has always been, though we are deepening in our understanding, we hope. God is who God has always been, but we may worship in a different way now that connects with us in a deep way because of the world we live in. 
God is who God has always been, and the call to love one another, to serve one another, is the same as it has always been, but the world is a changing place, and so we may need to do it in different ways. And so it requires courage and bravery and hope and faith, knowing that God is sure and God is carrying us forward. And so we can step out into the unknown to discover what that might be. Though the waters may be murky and the waves may be strong and the wind may be blowing, God is with us nonetheless. And this is the story of faith that has been from the very beginning, from generation to generation, a people who have followed God and considered themselves a part of a story going out and discovering what it is to be people of faith in that time and in that place. And so it is our task today, as it has always been, to ask who is it we are now as people of faith? Who are our neighbors now and how might we serve them? What is God calling us to now? Moana's story continues. Throughout the bulk of the movie, she goes on an adventure, a quest, a journey of some sort. She meets an interesting cast of characters. And along the way, she learns what it is to be brave and to be courageous, what it is to be a wayfarer, one who moves in the waters, who steps into unknown places with courage and with hope. She learns who she is, and she returns to her community, and she tells them about who they are. She takes the tradition they know that has held them to that island, a tradition which once was all they needed but now must be reached further and further back into history, and she tells them the longer story. Generation after generation of voyagers, of adventurers on the water, she saves them from yearning for the past when things were better by teaching them to build on their past to go forward into the future. And so as the ancestors sang to her in a cave, so her people take up the song, we know who we are, we know who we are. We are explorers, reading every sign they sing. We tell the story of our elders in a never-ending chain. This is what the author of the book of Hebrews does for us, beginning at the very beginning, and telling the story as it has led to that time, in that early church, so that we might pick up the story to tell generation after generation as it has carried us to this place here, that we might remember that as a people of faith, we are descended from voyagers, so we can tell their story in never-ending chain, and by faith, reaching for what God has for us, what we trust in and hope in, though we cannot see it, we may be voyagers still. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Friends, let us continue in worship the next hymn, which is How Firm a Foundation. I invite you to stand as you are able, so we might sing together.